Hey everybody, it's Thomas, and uh, we are now on 1 John chapter 5. We are going to finish our brief study, chapter by chapter, of 1 John. And uh, yeah, it took me a little bit longer to get to it, but better late than never, I guess. So uh, let's just jump right in. I don't think it'll be too, too long in this last chapter. So beginning at... Verse 1 of chapter 5, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Now, this is just another way of John stating how you know that you have, how you can know that you have genuine saving faith if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. Um then you you believe in God. Uh, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Uh, to be born of God is to have new life, to be saved from your sins, to be regenerated, um, to no longer be a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. And everyone who loves him who begot, and um, that would be the father begetting the son, the, the, the son is eternally begotten, um, begotten, not created, uh, because uh, the Son, according to his divine nature, being God, is eternal. It is true, of course, that Jesus, as a man in time, did come into the world. Uh, but according to his divine nature, he is eternal. And that protects us against all sorts of heresies and errors and ultimately protects us from denying that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is God. Um, so, everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. If you love the Father, then you love the Son. If you love the Son, then you love the Father. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. I think that's pretty evident um, when you do what God says, when you love one another, um, when you encourage one another as Christians in the faith, these are all evidences and signs that you are um, born of God and that you love the children of God, that you love his people. You cannot love his people if you do not love God. Uh, when we love God and keep his commandments, commandments which include Loving one another, do not murder, do not, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not covet, do not bear false witness, right? When you keep those second set of commandments, what's called the second table of the law, the last six commandments, right? Our duties to our fellow man, uh, that's only done when you first love God. The first four commandments pertaining to God, right? Having no other gods before him, not making any graven image, uh, not taking the Lord's name in vain, uh, just, you know, loving the God, loving God of all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. Uh, on these two commandments hangs all of the law, all of the teaching of, really in summary, of, of all of scripture. And uh, especially the Old Testament. Jesus Christ says this in, in the New Testament. Uh, if you love God, 
all, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, then you can know uh, that you are growing in grace and godliness, that you're serving him faithfully, uh, and so on and so forth. So there's really no magic trick. There's no magic bullet as a Christian. You have to be faithful. You have to love God. And to know him, to love him, you have to know him. And to know him, you have to read the Bible. You have to read the word of God. And so these are um, the, the daily battles, the daily struggles that we have as Christians is to grow in grace and godliness, to keep on going day by day. Um, and again, the Ten Commandments are a summary of that, of that keeping of God's law and his commandments. Now, moving on, um, verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So the love that God gives us, the love he has for us, the love he bestows upon us, ultimately, uh, I mean, there's, there's many blessings to it, but this love of God this love that emanates from God given to us is that we keep his commandments. And we do it in a way in which the commandments are not burdensome. It's not a slavery. It's we are, yes, called slaves of righteousness, slaves of God, but it's a willing slavery. It's a, um, we, we are now choosing it. And as Calvinists, yeah, once we're born again, we believe that we really do have faith in Christ and trust in him and choose him. We love him because he first loved us. We choose him because he first chose us. That's all certainly true, uh, but it doesn't change the fact that we must love him. We must trust in him. We must repent of our sins and day by day walk in faith and godliness by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the blessing that we have in Christ, that, that God has loved us so much. That he gave us his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is eternal life, John 17, 3. Uh, John in his gospel says that we know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, his son. And that we would be kept in the faith and, and joyfully from the heart obey God, give him the glory and honor due his name. And uh, to truly be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it unto the glory of God for his purpose and our delight and our joy in him. That's the, the beauty, the blessing of salvation. Verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And we are born of God. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Friends, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he has saved you from your sins, as Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? No one shall separate us from the love of God, not famine, pestilence, peril, sword, nothing. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. And um, when we really have that faith entrenched in us, and it has to be, you know, replanted and fertilized and grown each each day taking up the word of god as our daily bread to increase our faith when we have the word of god deeply implanted in us and the spirit is you know like a flame that's just growing and, and burning inside of us uh, we have overcome the world through christ and in that power in his power so that no matter what trial we face in life no matter what difficulty no matter what tragedy or heartbreak 
We don't lose faith. We don't lose heart. We don't turn back to sin in the old ways. We conquer it. We persevere. We overcome because of Christ who has overcome the world for us and now is working that overcoming victory within us. Okay, so let's go on to verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, and not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. In verse 7, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Now there's lots of textual differences here and some varying interpretations of this. And I really don't want to get into all the nitty gritty. Um, but what you do see here um, is, is a, a three-in-oneness of God. Um, Father, Word, or Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are one. Now, some would dispute that this is actually in the original text. I don't want to get into some textual criticism or uh, manuscript differences and all of that debate. Uh, we know throughout all of Scripture that God is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We know that Christ, the Son, is called the Word, and uh, that they bear witness together because they are one. And uh, Christ has come by water and blood, it says in verse 6. Uh, he came... Uh, you know, some have taken this to be, you know, by water he was he was born of woman and, and, and water flows out. Uh, some look to the cross where when his side is pierced and water and blood gushes forth. Uh, some will look at the water of baptism. And I think uh, looking at, at that is uh, helpful, certainly. I mean, he came by water. He was, he was baptized. But he also came by blood. He shed his own blood for us. He came in the flesh and he shed... Uh, his blood on the cross. He died. He was broken for us. So he came by by water and blood. And, you know, the, the, the sacraments, baptism uh, and the Lord's Supper uh, of his body and blood symbolized uh, water and blood, seeing that, that sacramentally, but really seeing what's behind the meaning of the sacraments, of, of, of salvation that was accomplished for us through the water and the blood, right? Through the uh, baptism, the washing away of our sins in, in, in Christ and his purifying effect that he has for us when he takes away our sin. Um, the purification that we're clothed in his righteousness and all these things. And then the blood, that, that the blood too uh, is, is really, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, and then through his flesh we have life as we feed on Christ spiritually uh, in, in, in the sacrament and God and his, Christ and his um, whole person and work it can really be summarized by water and blood. Um, and, and there's a lot more that could be said about that. And none of this, of course, of what Christ did is possible if the Spirit was not um, causing things to be uh, effective, right? To actually work, to avail to us. Christ goes to glory and receives the Holy Spirit from the Father to send to us and to give us, uh, to us, and the Holy Spirit indwells us. It is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth, and the Spirit bears witness to the water and the blood, to uh, the work of Christ, to what he's done for us. 
The three that bear witness in heaven is the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And the three on earth is the Spirit, the water, and the blood, because the Spirit was sent down from, you know, uh, from the Father and through the Son to us. And the Spirit works by the water and the blood and the Word of God. Um, hopefully, going quickly here, that's understandable, at least at, at some level. Um, there's no magic in the water uh, of baptism. There's no even magic in the um, shed blood of Jesus that it actually was a sacrifice for our sins that was offered up to the Father. And um, yeah, the water and blood flows from his side and, and he, he gives us life. He washes our sins away and, and we're covered. So verse 9, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. Um, man's witness is one thing, and that's good. But God's witness is even greater. Right? He's given us the spirit, the water, and the blood. We have uh, the witness of baptism, the witness of the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit who bears witness in our hearts. Uh, God's witnesses are greater than even man's testimony, man's witness, right? First uh, John begins, you know, that which we have seen and heard, uh, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Well, that's true, <clears throat> but we have recorded for us the work of Christ and the Spirit of God working in our hearts to persuade us uh, of, of salvation in him, to believe. And it leads us to verse 10, he who believes... And the Son of God has the witness in himself, right? The effectual work of the Spirit, applying the water, water and the blood, applying baptism and all that symbolizes to us the, the reality of baptism, uh, the washing away of our sins, right? Uh, the blood atoning for us, cleansing us, applied within us by the power of the Spirit of God. Um, we have the witness in ourselves. He who does not believe God has made God a liar in that John talked about that first in First John here earlier, in the earlier chapters, because he's not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Um, verse 12, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple. Life is in the Son. And if you do not have the Son, uh, well, quite simply, you do not have life. Um, let me look and pull up real quick here just a few notes on this, which I think might be helpful. Um, if I can find where I put it here. Hmm. see. I certainly thought that I had some notes on this. Um, well, maybe I can't find it. Sermons, prayers, Sunday evenings. Ah, here we go. There it is. All right. All right. Now we're in business. All right. So a few things could be a little bit more clear. Um, you can think of <clears throat> the blood specifically um, sacramentally, but also at the cross. Uh, Jesus was circumcised, right? 
Uh, there's this circumcision. Uh, Jesus really has both signs of the, uh, the old covenant sign of circumcision, where he's cut off on the cross, as we're told. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then, um, and Luke 12, 49 through 50 talks about that, by the way. Um, really a fulfillment of Genesis 15, 17, where the animals are cut in half and the glory of God is going between the two pieces to show that God himself is going to be cut off for his people. And then the new covenant sign of baptism. So Christ undergoes a baptism, a water baptism, and a blood cross circumcision um, for us, for our salvation. And uh, the Spirit, uh, it, the witness of the Spirit and Spirit baptism that we have, right? New life in Christ, uh, being regenerated. Uh, and the blood, the blood, our, our, our heart circumcision, our being made free from sin is within us, within God's people, granting us eternal life. And so we have that heart circumcision. We have that spirit baptism uh, within us. Hebrews 10, 19 through 31 is a good place to go <clears throat> to look at that as well. Um, we don't have time to do that right now, but you really see the language there is full of spirit and water and blood uh, working together. So... Um, again, there's more that could be said, and this is kind of a, a quick study. So if you want to study that further, look into some commentaries. But hopefully you're getting down the right track on that. All right, I want to keep moving here. Um, verse 11, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Verse 12, he who, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Uh, again, if in Christ is life, then to get life, you must be in him and he in you. And if you are not in him, if you're not um, savingly united to Christ, there is no hope of salvation. And we have seen all through First John that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You live differently. You are circumcised, cut off from the world. Right? You've been baptized. You've been washed of your sins. You've come out of these waters into a new life and ultimately we will receive the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells and so are those marks upon you now simply going to the church and convincing the church the elders the pastor to make you a member and and to baptize you of itself doesn't prove that you are a christian does your life bear it out or are you an empty professor, or a false convert? Search your hearts and see. And if you see that in your heart of hearts you really do love the Lord, praise God. And if you don't, repent and believe in him aright and be saved. And so First John wraps up. John wraps up here in verse 13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So this is to bolster your faith, not to make you doubt. It says that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Verse 14, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now that's great confidence, isn't it? Uh, in Christ, united to his Son, he hears us as his own sons, as his own children. And he wants to hear from us because 
He sent his own son to purchase us with his blood. We are now married to Christ, the, the, the bride of Christ, and, and part of the family of God, really and truly. What an incredible thought. Really, I mean, truly, that we are now the bride of the God-man, Jesus Christ, and truly children of the Father. Truly. Married into the family of God. I mean, isn't that just incredible? That's, that's why I've described it, and I guess this is really a good, I should use this uh, as a good biblical you know, basis. Um, our salvation in Christ is really like having all the benefits and privileges of being God without actually being God. Right? We're made in the image of God to begin with, but then we're, you know, through the fall, we're separated from God. But then we're brought back into that fellowship with God, even richer and higher than what Adam and Eve had, because we come now as family, not just as creatures, but as blood-bought children of God, family of the Father, and the bride of Christ. We are married into the family. This covenant marriage ceremony has taken place, right? You think about it. What is Revelation about at the end? It is the wedding supper of the Lamb. <clears throat> and Christ is the Lamb. But guess who else is in the wedding? You and I, if we're in Christ. And you know, the world can't understand this wedding imagery because they only understand that in an earthly, carnal way. But marriage on earth, as beautiful and glorious as it is, is just a mere fading, passing picture of a surpassing, eternal marriage to God himself that we have through Christ, our bridegroom. I mean, it, it's just incredible. And, and that, again, just saying all that to look at verse 14 here, that this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, it has to be according to his will. And if we know his word, we know his will. Well, we know that he hears us. Right? God wants to give us the desires of our heart when our, heart are, when our hearts are at one with his and that's the key, right? People use God as a wishing well or as a, a genie in a bottle. Uh, a, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours kind of thing. No, God wants us to, to conform us into the image of his son, which is his own image, so that then when we ask, we ask with the same heartbeat, if you will, that God himself has, and he grants it to us at that point. And what he wants for us is what is best for us. Father knows best. The world, again, unless they're pricked in the heart, hates this too. Uh, they just can't stand to have any real authority over them, even though they have authority over them all the time on earth and work and home and play and children have authority over them and, and everything. And to be fair, certainly all human authority is is imperfect at best and tyrannical and, and godless at worst, but we're talking about God. I mean, we're not talking about a, a merely human ruler. We're talking about the man who is God, the God-man, Christ Jesus, who is sinless and spotless and perfect and redeemed us and loves us. We're not bending the knee even to a great man merely, but to God himself, God incarnate. I mean, he, he loved us, and he does love us, and he gave himself for us. And 
we owe him our obedience simply by the fact that he created us and is Lord. But then he's also Savior and Redeemer and friend, right? And bridegroom and our father. And, and if, there's, if, you, if anybody can recognize that there is legitimate authority anywhere, and they should, <laughs> uh, then they should be able to see the most obvious authority. In fact, the only authority from which is, who, who which is the ultimate authority and gives meaning and ground to all other authority is God himself. And we never want to escape his authority. We shouldn't. We should be climbing and clambering to get back under his authority under the shadow of his wings, of his almighty arms, to protect us, to guide us, and to lead us. Right? He leads us by the still waters. He restores my soul, and our cup runneth over. Right? We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Truly goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, think about that. I mean, just think about that. Just think about, you know, the joy in the Lord that we have. It's imperfect because we are still sinners. We still have some separation from God, right? We don't see him face to face yet. We see through a glass darkly. Uh, we still struggle against sin. Our affections aren't always rightly oriented toward God. In fact, it's never perfectly there. And so we still love too much of the world and the things in this world. But, but to love God perfectly, to be completely free from sin, sin and to truly enjoy what is best for us, uh, just, just hasten the day, Lord. What a glorious day that shall be. Now, verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the, uh, the petitions that we have asked of him. I mean, just again, the confidence and comfort to know that it, when we ask according to his word, God, make me a better Christian. Help me to love my wife more, my children more. Lord, bless me with wisdom to lead my family well. Lord, bless me so that I can glorify you and use me as your vessel for your kingdom and for your glory and for your namesake to the maximum. And help me to delight in that day by day. God, give me that more and more. Give me, you know, many children, a large family, if it is your will, Lord. Give me... Um, all these things so that I can give them to you because they are yours and be uh, to, to, to wield it all under your authority for your glory and for my delight in you. So we have this reciprocal relationship to the Lord that just, just builds things up. You know, when, when we pray like that, we know that's the very thing that God wants for us. And so it's good. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death, right? Whether this is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or just repetitively keep, uh, committing sins such that they are sort of given over to their sins and wickedness, God has confirmed them in their sins so that they are not going to be saved. Um, again, there's various interpretations here. The verse goes on to say, there is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. Uh, but yet the, the general pattern is, if you're in doubt, uh, 99 times out of 100, 999 times out of 1,000, you should pray for them earnestly and pray that God would deliver their soul. And God very well may. Verse 17, all, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. And that's, that's certainly good news because we still sin too. 
Now, verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. And again, in the Greek there, and you know, the context, we understand that this is not sinning as a lifestyle, as a pattern. Uh, we're not sinning unto death. Uh, but he who has been born of God keeps himself. And the wicked one, the devil, does not touch him. Right? We are kept for the Lord. We keep ourselves pure. We are to be like spotless virgin brides. Verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world is under the sway of Satan. But we are of God. We are born from above. We are translated and transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ Jesus to be holy and spotless before him. And then in verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. The Son of God has come so that we may know God himself, the one who is true. And we are in him who is true. How well do we know him? He is in us. He lives inside of us. And we are in him. And we are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life because Christ is eternal. And if we are in him and he is in us, we shall never die but have everlasting life. Little children, and this is a great concluding heartfelt exhortation by John, and it's perennial, it's evergreen, it's ever fresh, it's ever needed to be heard. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Right? Idols, idolatry, the idolatry of the Israelites and their golden calves and their worshiping Baal. And the Asherah poles and all these different things and the idolatry that remains in our own hearts to worship pleasure, to worship fun, to worship our TV, our games, our leisure, our own work, to work too hard and not for God's glory. Whatever the case may be, keep your heart, keep yourselves from idols by the power of God within you and you will know that you are a child of God. And that you will persevere to the end. And, and it will be hard and it will be a slugfest. And it won't happen um, automatically in the sense of you do nothing to grow in grace. No, you will persevere and you can have confidence that you'll persevere. But you'll persevere by hard work and effort. Right? It's just like, you know, digging up the fields, plant a garden, or uh, running a marathon. You've trained for it. You know you, 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 can, you can do it, but it's... The race is still set and laid out before us. So run the race so as to win it, to receive that crown in heaven, the crown of life, to receive re rich rewards in heaven for your everlasting joy and delight in him and for his glory that will echo throughout the universe for all eternity. And we will bask in God's glory and fall at his feet and love him forever and ever. Amen. Well, I know this was kind of a quick go-through. Hope you enjoyed this brief uh, brief look through First John. I hope that it's been helpful. If you ever have any questions or comments or want more details, you can email me, T-O-M, Tom, Booher, B-O-O-H-E-R, at hotmail.com. Thank you and God bless.